Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hello, beloved listeners. Welcome back to Octavia's Parables. I am your co-host, Asia Marie Brown. And I'm Toshi Regan. And we are reading Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents, chapter by chapter together, and learning what we can for our movements for this current time. Mm -hmm. And we're actually on Parable of the Talents, the epilogue. And this is the final piece of published parables content from Mm -hmm. Octavia E. Butler. So before you even dive into it, I just want to take a moment and ask you all to join me in a silent offering of gratitude to Octavia E. Butler for the parables universe. Yeah. Like you did your thing, Ma. It was good. We're still working with it. We're still learning from it. And before we start in the content, do you have any announcements, Toshi? Yeah, I want to announce that um, Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sword the Opera will be on tour in spring 2022. We're at com. Some of the shows are on sale. Some of them aren't. So maybe check in about a week or so. And maybe we'll have all of them up. And... um, uh, we are recording the Parable score, and so that might be up. And um, mm. yeah, ah, and Adrian and I are doing a joint conversation September twenty yes. second with um, with Cranert at University of Illinois. We'll post that up, and yeah. um, we will have. It's going to uh, be four o'clock in the afternoon. Eastern. It's four Eastern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so we'll we'll let you know in enough time to make that space and join us. And um in August at some point we'll have to let you know, but we will be doing a conversation <laughs> with um our beloved Alexis Pauline Gums. And I wanna tell people like so Alexis goes on these incredible writing journeys. And when she's on the writing journey, she's like, I'm not scheduling, I'm not doing stuff, I'm not doing events, whatever. And every single time, it's the most inspiring part of the year for me. When I yeah. get the auto reply from Alexis and I'm like, oh, she's writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thrilling. And, you know, it really, as a writer, I'm always like, yeah, let me go do that. So that's all we're waiting on. She's like a definite yes, it's definitely going to happen. And we're going to schedule it when she's back from writing. And I don't know, something about that. I just want you all to learn from the boundary and the commitment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, and the generosity, because if you're yes. not following Alexis on um, social media, this would be, be like follow her on social media her. because often her work ends up um, first um, yeah. on uh, these posts, and which is how we, we started the Marine Mammal meditation exactly. recording and that's how the book undrowned came out oh and exactly. we have another marine mammal meditation i forgot to say oh yes before. yes 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 <laughs> um so that that is coming up very soon we've got marine mammal meditations of yes plenty. oh my god this one is <laughs> this one is some i think i've been slow to put it up because it was so it was such a deep dive um yeah that's exciting. Yeah, but I'm I'm ready now. I'm ready to share. So we are ready. I'm to excited share. too because y'all with the meditations, I just had this exciting conversation about the Undrowned audiobook and the meditations and all the things. It's this is it's about to be an exciting marine mammal yeah. time for black feminist people. That's right. All right. Now, announcements on my side. I think the main thing is that the Octavia E. Butler tarot deck will be up for pre-order. Um, should be in the next month. So um, it's absolutely stunning, the art, the design, the pieces of Octavia's wisdom, the way that they meld with the tarot. I think this deck will be incredible for people who are very experienced with tarot and also people who've never used tarot before and are just wanting a deeper dive into Octavia's work. It covers all of her work. There's excerpts and snippets and pieces from almost everything she published. So um, Mm. we're really, really excited and um, a portion of the proceeds will be going back to the estate and 
you know, they were just, they were a blessing. We feel blessed by this whole circumstance. So keep your eyes out for that. It'll be announced far and we, okay. I know that I'm like more announcements, please. Just delaying the inevitable. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. are, are. Wait, did we say what season three was going to be on this one? Oh, let's announce it again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're like, okay, thank you. See, you indulged me and I love that. (laughs) So another announcement is that for season three of Octavia's Parables, we're actually going to go to her text, Wild Seed. Wild Seed, the story Mm. of Anyanwu. And it's part of the Patternist series, uh, which means that there's four, some say five books <laughs> to explore in it. Depending. Um, <laughs> it depends who you are and how you are. We'll see what we choose to do. But Wild Seed is a really beautiful, powerful, shapeshifter, magical, black healer text. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the right medicine for this time. So we're excited to dive into it after this. Yes. Yeah. Stay ready. Ooh. All right. Well, here we are from the epilogue from Earth Seeds, the book, Books of the Living. Earth Seed is adulthood. It's trying our wings, leaving our mother, becoming men and women. We've been children fighting for the full breast, the protective embrace, the soft lap. Children do this, but Earth Seed is adulthood. Adulthood is both sweet and sad. It terrifies. It empowers. We are men and women now. We are earth seed. And the destiny of earth seed is to take root amongst the stars. Among the stars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, mm, so this is, this is basically, I wrote at 34, Asha Larkin meets her mother. It starts off with Uncle Mark was, in the end, my only family. Uh, she never she never went back to Casey and Madison. She basically took care of them financially, but she never, never went mm. to them. And uh, she finally uh, met her mother, and she calls her a drifter. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's great. <laughs> But, you know, it's kind of like, remember, we're in the earlier chapters and Larkin's just like, what's up with this woman? And Mm -hmm. here we are. She's still like, what's up with this woman? (laughs) Like, um, But she calls her a drifter because she's moving from different earthy communities. Like she's not walking the highways anymore, anything like that. She's just moving to the different places that she's she's there's communities and she's working a lot. And she goes to Red Spruce to rest. And um, she had been working a lot and she needed some downtime. And so that's that's when Larkin says, I, I very much wanted to meet her. And mm-hmm. uh, her friends and Uncle Mark's housekeeper had said how much she looked like the charismatic, dangerous, heathen cult leader. And uh, so she she finally is like, I need to I need to do this. Um yeah. She says her uh, her official biography had been destroyed by the Crusaders back in the 30s. But it's men and women who had been enslaved for over a year by the Crusaders, and the children had been abducted, and most had never been seen again. And the Church of uh, Christian America had denied this, and they sued Olamina and Ursid back in the 40s. And they sued them for saying that this is what happened to them. Um and Jared, again, this one, this, you know, one term person, you know, whose church was still powerful, they really, you know, they really went after them. But it is found out that Jared, and this is so interesting to me, that Jared yes. was involved with witch burnings way back in 2015 and 2019. Jared himself took part in singling people out and burning them alive. And which made me think, oh, the paints, mm. you know, like because exactly. the paints were on a drug or something like that. But where did they get that idea? Like, and why, why this? So it's so interesting that circle. I actually hadn't picked that up before. Um, yes. Uh, so they they burned 
people who they said were prostitutes and they burned people who they said were junkies and they burned people who they said were drug dealers. And I'm just going to say who they said, who they said, who they said. Yep. And uh, they burn innocent people. I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> They're all innocent. Not really yes, sure that's how, right. why that's, that's written right. that way. Um, right. You know, I think there's some things in this text with of Octav- Octavia's, um, especially the first, what I just read, you know, we are men and we are women. And, yeah. you know, that like the times, this is not how we Stuff are. Stuff that is dated. <laughs> yes. That's not how we are, are, um, are talking about our communities, but there it is. And so here's another one. Here are the innocent people. Here are the junkies. Here are the prostitutes. Here are the drug dealers. And yeah. I'm like, ah, they were all innocent junkies, innocent yeah. prostitutes, innocent. So uh, anyway, he gets, he gets busted for his, you know, murderous ways. This is great, but it just is showing what happened in the last chapter is they say that people are taking a deep breath and they're being able to actually discover what they actually have, have been through and why. Um, very interesting because today or maybe this week it comes out, rapey dude that's on the Supreme Court um, had 4,500 complaints that the FBI had about him and they didn't investigate any of them. And so that's it's right. coming out just now. Um, who I can tell y'all like who you vote for matters so much, even when you don't like nobody, (laughs) you got the nuances, your friend, um, as we evolution forward. Um, anyway, yeah, there's so many small pieces. So many small pieces. The church of Christian America sued Olamina for her false and quotes accusations. And she countersued then suddenly without explanation, they dropped the suit and settled with her, paying her an unreported but gigantic amount of money. And that is where um, where Asha is like, I was a kid when this happened. So mm-hmm. that's where you can start to exactly. locate the, the trajectory of her journey. And I think that's very, very important. Like, yes. you know, as much as we want to like be like, why is she like this with her mother? I think it's really important to understand that, that that yeah. when Lauren, when Earthseed had become big, La- Asha was a child. Exactly. Um, so that is that. She phoned and she asked Uncle Mark, what is this? Do you know my mother? And this is when he just kind of is like, I can't deal with it and makes a sad face. And it's like, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Um, mm. And so she is... You know, she is very much like uh, in an on her own space at this point because right. all, you know, her parent situation is is really flustered. The person she loves the most is Uncle Mark. These are the, this is the person she has the most, you know, I think empathy for, but she wants to know. Um and so she shows up, she tries to, you know, phone that doesn't work, so she shows up at Red Spruce and uh, she rented a, a room at their guest house and she began to try to get to see her. And of course, nobody's like letting her in because they're like, right. no, <laughs> she's like to Lauren. the shaper has got to get some sleep and you, mm-hmm. we don't know you um, why you coming over here. But eventually she finds somebody. It takes three days and she gets some help and she, she describes it as the wall um, starting to, um, to, to give away. And people yeah. are like, okay, wait a minute. She do kind of look like her. And so mm-hmm. eventually she ends up with um, Edison Balter, who is one mm-hmm. of um, Harry's uh, sons and who knows who she is. And is like, oh my God, it's Ashavir. You're so cool. I've, I've, I've seen your dream mask. And this is like yeah. a wonderful kind of moment. And he says how much um, he likes her work. And then um, she ends up, she ends, she ends up she ends up saying um I'm with another likable cultist so she pretty much in this beautiful you know mountain community and then she eventually is taken to meet her mom and her mom's mm-hmm. in her 50s uh she's 58 and um she was born way back in 2009 before the pox my god she was old but she didn't look old even though her black hair was streaked with gray she looked big and strong, and in spite of her pleasant, welcoming expression, 
just a little frightening. She was a little taller than me and maybe a little bit more angular. She looked not hard, but as though she could be hard with just the smallest change of expression. She looked like someone I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of. And yes, even I could see it. She looked like me. Hmm. So Lauren takes her hand. She looks at these two moles and then she kind of looks for a a jagged patch. Um, She touched a place that was covered by her blouse and this was like a startling situation but basically what Lauren is doing is trying to find out is this really her and yes it's it's her. They um, start to talk. The way it's written is I nodded and I tried to speak and I found myself stumbling and stammering. I came here because I thought or maybe because I looked up information about you and I was curious. I I mean, I read about Earthseed and people said I looked like you and well, I knew I was adopted. So I wondered, uh, you know, and then Lauren just asked her, like, so you were adoptive. Were your parents good to you? Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's like, you know, the started to cry and it's just a big emotional situation. And eventually, um, they decide to do a gene print, which is something that can happen right away. And somebody yep. comes through and has the gene print machine and they draw blood and they do the test and it's confirmed that they are very close relatives. And, yeah. um, and Lauren is like, we're, we're mother and daughter. So yeah. this begins their, their real first conversation. And then they do the thing, which I love where, um, you know, the person who does the print test says, um, you know, God has changed. And then Lauren, Lauren says, shape God as the answer. So mm-hmm. they have their like church thing. <laughs> and, um, uh, mm-hmm. she wants to hear about her life and she explains, about her journey and as she's explaining about her parents and then she kind of just goes and then I found Uncle Mark and finally and this is when it just gets it gets uh, um it gets mm. a little out of hand Lauren is is shocked when she hears this and she can't she can't like she can't take a breath like she can't it's too much pain. it's too much pain <laughs> and so she stands up and she starts staring down at her and she has like this, she describes it as a closed look frozen on her face and it, it, it just shut her out. It was just cold, distant, unfeeling. Lauren is angry and she asks when, but she's demanding. Like she's not yeah, like, totally. she can't, she's not where she was just a few minutes ago. So she's like when, and she's demanding. And that is the a line crossed for Asha. Yeah, She's... Yeah. No, 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 no. Like she pulls back. Um, she's yeah. on the defensive. And then Lauren sees that and tries to kind of get back into, you know, a conversation. But I think it's a little late. And she's like, please tell me about your life. You probably know something about mine because so much has been written. But she was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell her, but she does. She, um, <laughs> she's, she's terrified and she wants to get away from her, but she actually does. Yeah. She actually does, you know, share. And they had dinner together and they spend this time. Then, um, Lauren tells her the story of her birth and tells her about her father and about the, um, abduction. And she says, hearing about it from her wasn't like reading, um, an impersonal account. I listened and cried. I couldn't help it. And she asked, what did Mark tell you? And she hesitated. Um, because she doesn't know what to, to say. Um, mm-hmm. but she told the truth because I could, she couldn't think of a decent lie. I mean, I, I wrote, I love Asha. Like, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. she's in the worst place. <laughs> like, like, she's in, sucks. yeah, she, there, she's in the worst place. And it's just this, this, you know, awkward and terrible moment. You know, she's got Marcus yeah. lies. She's got a mom that's just in so much pain. And so upset. And, um, you know, and so she really does try to say, like, look, at the end of the day, he took care of me. Um, I had a great place to live. And, you know, 
he did these these good things for me. Mm. And she's like, I don't know why he told me you were dead. And maybe he was just lonely. I don't know. We got along. He and I, from the start, I still live in one of his houses. And, <sighs> you know, she's going on about what was good about meeting Mark. And Lauren has no capacity whatsoever to hold yeah. that. And so she's like, no, your father and I loved you, you know, and um, they tried. Yeah. She's telling her how they tried to have the baby, tried to have her for, for two years. And then the horror of, you know, what happened to all of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think at this point, Asha's just like, OK, you know what? I don't know what to say to that. And she just is like, well, you didn't mm-hmm. find me. You know, she's like, you didn't yeah. find me. Mark found me. This is, you know, this is a the, a harsh reality, but I also have empathy for her. Yeah. And they just get into it a little bit. Lawrence, like, I didn't know if you were still alive. I wanted to believe you were. And they're unwrapping the whole conversation. But Lauren is, like, kind of losing it emotionally. It would have been a good time for her to, to say, well, this is great. We got here and let's meet again. But that's not what happened. So um, she's, Lauren is furious. She says, I never thought he could um, hate anyone that much. I saved him from slavery. I saved his worthless life. God damn it. And, um, and I think, I think that's it. So Larkin is too much in the position of having to defend him. And when she defends him, Lauren is mad at her for defending him. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she gets, Asha calls her a cult leader and, you know, they just go back and forth. And um, and Asha's like, all right, that's enough. And she leaves. Yeah. You know, it, it's so heartbreaking. You know, she just, you know, Mark just stole her child. And yes. at the end of the day, that's what happened. And she goes home. She's angry with him. And but angrier at Lauren somehow. And she just was like, I loved him more um, than I ever loved anyone. And no matter what he'd done, um, and she was hurting him. And Mm -hmm. that's how she basically reasoned the whole thing. She says Mm -hmm. uh, her mother lived to be 81. Um, She kept her word. She never stopped teaching. She did everything that she thought she should do. All that she did, she did for Earthseed. I did see her again on some occasions, but Ursi was her first child and in some ways her only child. And um and that's the way that that's the way Larkin just saw saw all of that. And uh this is how Lauren dies. Um she was planning a lecture tour when her heart stopped just after her eighty first birthday. She saw the first shuttle leave for the first starship assembled partly on the moon and partly in orbit. And she says that um, she was not on any of the shuttles, of course, and neither was Uncle Mark, and neither of us had children. But Justin Gilchrist was on the ship. He shouldn't have been at his age. (laughs) That's interesting, of course, but he (laughs) was. And the son of um, Jessica Fairchild had gone. Ironically, he's a biologist. And the Mora girls and their children and the whole surviving Douglas family had gone. They in particular were her family. All Ursie was her family. We never really were, Uncle Mark and I. She never really needed us, so we didn't let ourselves need her. Here is the last journal entry of hers. And so um, I'm, I'm going to let y'all really read this yourselves because it's, it's quite beautiful. Um, it's her looking at the, the shuttle journey and, um, and, you know, talking about it. And she said that, uh, my Larkin would not come. I begged her, but she refused. She's caring for Mark. So Larkin never even saw it go off. Um, he's getting over another heart transplant. (laughs) So interesting. And she says how completely, how thoroughly he has stolen my child. I have never even tried to forgive him. So I'll read her final uh, sentence, which is the destiny of Earthseed is to take root amongst the stars. After all, 
and not to be filled with preservative poisons boxed up at great expense, as is revived fashion now, and buried uselessly in some cemetery. And she says, I know what I've done. So Lauren has sent her ashes on the ship and yes. she wants her, she wants to be buried, you know, when they have, um, when they finally get the gardens going, um, wherever they are. And, uh, I want to read you one more thing, which is after the book, there's a, the, the one I have, I have one of the old ones. There's a, uh, yeah. reading group guide and, um, and she puts, uh, the, um, the whole biblical text of parable and the talents at the end of this book. And mm-hmm. so there's a question, what were your motivations for taking your title from the biblical parable of the talents? And Octavia says, the parable of the talents is one of the harsher parables of the Bible, but then life can be harsh. We human beings will use our talents, our intelligence, our creativity, our ability to plan, to delay gratification, to work for the benefit of the community and of humanity rather than only for ourselves. We will use our talents or we will lose them. We will use our talents to save ourselves or we'll do what other animal species do sooner or later. We will continue turning as much of the world to our use as we can. Technology helps us to do this faster, more thoroughly and more disastrously than any animal species could. At some point, this must end. Earth is finite. Consciously or unconsciously, we must decide whether, in all our intelligence and industry, we choose to be no more than, as Alamina says in Parable of the Sower, smooth dinosaurs. Mm. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Octavia. Smooth dinosaurs. My goodness. Smooth dinosaurs. Um, there's so much here, and it's so tender. And and I'm so grateful for how Octavia wrote this. Like, she didn't let up on any humanity <laughs> um, all the way to the end. So some questions I have here, you know, when... This Ursi verse is talking about the adulthood of Ursi. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes me want to ask our listeners, are you in the adulthood of your beliefs? Mm. Are you in the adulthood of your beliefs? The place where you can be responsible for what you believe, for what the impacts are of your life. Are you a drifter? Are you a nomad? Are you someone who cultivates community in many places? And how do you do that? And if you're doing that, um, how do you build the kind of community, fortitude of community that is needed for the future? Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in answers to this question <laughs> as someone who has been very nomadic and is slowing down, but still my soul lives and roots in many places. Mm. Who are those people currently trying to burn us? currently successfully burning us. Who is responsible for those attacks on us? Mm -hmm. Do we understand how interconnected the attacks on us are? And where are we in relationship to the pox or our version of the pox? Mm -hmm. Based on Octavia's timeline, we're four years away, (laughs) two, (laughs) two, three years away now. That's right. But, you know, what does it feel like we are? Maybe we were ahead of the game. Maybe we were behind the curve, you know. And then so much of this chapter is about finally the coming together of Asha Berry and her mother, Lauren Olamina. So I have a set of questions around this. How do you navigate the space between expectations and reality? Mm-hmm. Right? We know from reading both of them that there were so many expectations of each other. There were so many assumptions. There were so many ideas about what the other one was. And then there was the actual coming together, which was awkward and fumbling and like emotionally all over the place and triggering Mm -hmm. and tender. Um, And we get to see, you know, we're like the whole time I'm like, no, 
Lauren, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Asha, no, you know, but, but I actually love Lauren and Asha's humanity in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. How do you navigate your own humanity when that gap occurs? You know, what's so interesting to me though, what I was thinking about, <laughs> what's because that? I remember going to therapy after my dad died so I could talk yeah. to him. And, you know, so I could just have a a conversation. He was gone, but I was like, I need to have a better conversation. Like, I don't want to, he's not here. Even if he was here, I don't know if I could have a conversation with him. But I just was thinking, wow, you know, like they, like, there was no, there's no work being done. Like, that is about your emotional state of, you know, like where Lauren was with Mark before and you know you notice like how when she's planning like she can just see people places she's like this house will be perfect for you know Allie and blah 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 and this it will be great for the Douglases they can do the school and this will be like that and like when she meets people she can like it's like her brain becomes a map and then I was like where's where did you go to process your understanding that your brother probably stole your child yeah. If you, you know, because it feels like once she met, actually met her child, she couldn't like make meeting her child be the most important thing. Like, oh, I heard that. I'm not going to deal with that right now because she didn't have no, yes. she, she didn't do anything. You know, it's not yeah. a part of this book that anybody like has a place for their trauma and their pain. It's so interesting. It's so interesting and it's also, I think it touches into this piece where where trauma lives, where it's like in the unveiling of that moment that Mark had known about this child, probably was involved in the taking of this child, Mm -hmm. had known about this child and raised this child and supported this child and done all these things there it it's like for Lauren it's like it triggers her all the way back to the mm-hmm. the original wound between her and Mark and the original wound of having her daughter taken and she's stuck there and you can see it yeah you know like um and i think for Asha she's like oh i expect you to just be okay with <laughs> yeah i yeah like he raising you know like i live in his house now like it's it's all you know it's like it's all good. no that would not be all good that's an unforgivable thing that you're telling me yeah. that i didn't have you and and, you know, the, the tragedy of it is there's no course. It's like you can't even believe how much I needed you or wanted you. Yeah. You don't understand it. You'll never you'll never really believe it because I was not able to find you because he hid you from me. That's he didn't right. just find you. Um, yeah. So it's so tender. Like the things that she doesn't say are, are all on our, all of mm-hmm. our tongues. And, you know, even that trying to like, where do you begin the story of your life in That's a situation right. like this? Like being able to sit and be like, what? mattered you know who mattered to you Mm -hmm. and what do you do it is an impossible situation if the person who matters so deeply to you is the person who has caused the most harm to the person you're talking to and you're and you're trying to build a bridge here you know um i i love reading this i love i love feeling that octavia e butler is protecting them getting to be humans in this moment and the questions it led to me for, you know, if you end up on the Lauren side of things or you go into oof, big feelings and you cannot recenter, are you ever an overwhelming person? Are you ever the overwhelming person? Are you ever overwhelmed by your emotions, overwhelmed such that you can't show up the way you know you want to, the mm-hmm. way you know you need to? And what are you doing about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's things to do about that. What There's are you doing about that? Do. And if you fall on the Asha side, you know, where you might land in some denial, right? Are there places where love or family has led you astray or leads you astray? And also, what do you do about that? Mm -hmm. How do you hold that this person you love might also be someone who's caused harm? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you live with the unforgivable? Mm Mm-hmm. How do you live with the unforgivable? And Mark is the individual representative of the whole unforgivable pox condition. That's right. Right. And 
we're currently in an unforgivable condition. We are currently living with so many deaths and so many extinctions and so many things that are just like that we knew better. There were things stolen from us. <laughs> our freedoms were stolen from us. Our yes. health was stolen from us. Our capacity to travel has been taken. You know, like all these things are being taken away. It is unforgivable. How do we live with it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it blaming one person? Is it broadening to systemic analysis? Is it something else? Is it ritual? How do we do it? Mm. And you didn't mention this, but, <laughs> and I often am like, let's pretend it never happened. And to be accountable, we have to mention that the first ship, the first shuttle, is called the Christopher Columbus, the yes. ship that Lauren gets to watch <laughs> fly off. And I'm always like, nah. but I do love rereading it and remembering that she was like, I didn't choose that. I didn't choose <laughs> like, that name. <laughs> I didn't choose that name. I didn't want that name. And yep. I had to choose my battles because you don't win every battle, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, so she she's just like, okay, one can't win every battle. One must know which battles to fight. The name is nothing. Yeah which I think is fascinating. But I wanted to ask our listeners, what do you make of Earthseed naming their first ship after Christopher Columbus? Mm. Right? Um, what does it represent in terms of the belief system of the destiny? Um, I'm always like, hmm, maybe we need to add a little racial justice to the Earthseed analysis, <laughs> you know? Like, it's just colonial <laughs> history. You know, I think there's pieces that I'm like, ooh, I can see where some political education could have helped here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what do you make of that? It reminds me. It reminds me sometimes <laughs> when Obama says things, we're just like, we love you, but what? What did you, you just say? Come on now. <laughs> you know. I was like, call me, call me Barack. Yeah. Like, we're we, like, we can, dude. We can get you all the way there. You're so smart. We love you. Uh, look, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. Don't say yeah. defund the police. You asked them at the front door. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. It's not the, no. no, don't say, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> no, we, we, you know, and there's, I think this is, it's so important because when we are building solidarity, when we are building movement with each mm-hmm. other, we're not building monolithic thought patterns or monolithic right. analysis. And it's like how how much can we provide space for and go. where are the places where we jump in and have the interventions, right? Um, you know, the other options, maybe they're in a place where, you know, I'm stretching my imagination, but they're like, maybe they're in a place where like, it really doesn't matter, you know, like other things have happened and whatever, it doesn't matter. I just can't get there. <laughs> like right. it's my limitation of my imagination, maybe I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> so yeah, thinking about like, what are the battles that matter? And, Mm. you know, do you ever find yourself in a battle that doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. Being stubborn. Two last questions. Can we be with what is if it is the only true way to save ourselves and make a way forward? Mm. Can we drop the delusions and the performances and the false solutions and uh, the easy answers, the convenience, the lies. Can we drop it and be with what is, what we've done, what our ancestors have done, what our species has done? Can we really get with it? Be with what is if it's the only true way to save ourselves. And my final question, having read it all, do you believe in the destiny? Hmm. I I do love the... That it's their hearts, her and Mark. Mm-hmm. That their hearts, you know, that they, that genetic coding or whatever, it's like he's had a heart transplant and her heart gives out. Um, this is a heartbreaking story, among other things. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's something about the destiny that oh, I, yes. that I thought, I thought that you, that it was like, it's an opportunity you know, like that it's, it's like, if you, if you understand that it is to take root amongst the stars and to create new opportunities in the universe it yeah. is almost like a, so a, you know, a little bit of a surrender for yeah. planet earth yes. and to 
to uh, try to expand and extend possibilities. Yeah. She didn't have like a, and it's going to be awesome. She didn't have any, no. anything no. like that. So it's like, look, we can create this and then this can, can be another, but it's so interesting that we're reading yeah. this and then like, you know, Bezos and um, Richard Branson both raced each other up into space um, mm-hmm. and that Bezos said the, made the horrible comments of thanking mm. the workers and every all the customers because they paid for it. Earnestly. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, and then there's another one that's supposed to go up. So I don't know. But um, yeah. No, and I, I think that there's, you know, this is why in that last episode, it felt important to me that like, Sometimes the vision just has to be compelling enough to keep you going, mm-hmm. even if it's not the right vision, even if, you know, we don't know. Right. <laughs> and th- my favorite thing, it's always been my favorite thing to remember as a facilitator, especially when we're in the trenches and we're really fighting it out, is like, we do not know which of these ways is actually going to work. What we right. know is what we've tried has not worked. Mm. Right. And so what we know is we have to try something different and how different are we willing to go with what we're trying? And this is kind of the furthest we can go. So we've tried being on this planet, uh, you know, with all the diversity that we have here. And so far we haven't been able to make a way of it, you know, um, under the pressures of colonialism and capitalism. And we have, you know, there's, there's beauty, there's miraculous things, there's community, there's all of it exists. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I think there's, you know, to me, it's so visionary just to say, well, maybe it's something, maybe it's, we go somewhere else, you know, Mm -hmm. that's an idea. And then, and then you have to kind of organize yourself around that. Maybe this is the womb. Maybe this is where we gestate. Mm -hmm. Maybe then we get born out into the universe and, you know, there is the eluded, thing that there's there have found other planets where there's life by the time that this these shuttles are going and we're in a conversation about how we're going to go to california at some point and dig in the crates and explore the things that got written for the parable of the trickster yeah but one of the things you know the way that i've often heard it spoken about is that she wrote many many drafts and did not find those other worlds compelling and found it really hard kept getting stuck there in trying to explore it, you know, which I find a similar feeling <laughs> of grief <laughs> overwhelms me when I'm like trying to be without what the earth provides is hard to explore. Um, so I'm curious about all of it, right? I'm like, do you buy into the destiny? My, I have found myself, um, and I think I've spoken about this on this podcast before, but like claiming the destiny as taking root amongst the stars right here. You yeah. know, like what would it look like to actually take root on this little spaceship that was perfectly designed for yes. us and we were perfectly designed for it. What would that mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> that's what that's, I want to do. That's what I that yeah, that's my thing too. Um yeah. I have a question. Ooh, I want to hear it. Yeah, my question is what is the moment that you realize that working with this particular text would be the way to expand your mm-hmm. your voice your you know when did you when did you go yeah. this this you know i had been reading octavia over and over and over again and then i started writing emergent strategy like i started gathering emergent strategy and there was an aha moment where i just i felt compelled to go back and read her and in the reading i came across that text, all successful life is tenacious, fecund, adaptable, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is the major key. Like there, she's pointing to the life that is able to exist on this planet. And and then as I was reading the text, I was like, oh, and this is what movements try to do where we try to like establish an institution. And this is what we do where we try to like, everyone has to believe the same thing. And then this is what we do, you know, like mm-hmm. it just started to click into place that the critiques I had of modern movement were all embedded in this book. And the idea of a compelling future was embedded in this book and the Earthseed verses. I did a whole separate project where I just took the Earthseed verses and and invited a bunch of people to write reflections. Cause I was like, there's actually so much just in these verses, like as a standalone text, 
to contend with, which I think is often the case. Like the Tao Te Ching is like that. The mm. verse, these small verses pack a massive punch. But what I, what I have tried to do in my life is be accountable to the fact that we don't have these brand new ideas necessarily, right? right? We are prisms for ways that ideas come together. You know, each of us is a unique prism. Mm. And what I think the reason I felt compelled to read Octavia over and over again is because there's a lot of alignment between our prisms. I have felt that awkward, nerdy desire to mm. rage against the system. And I have felt the imagination pull me through moments that were otherwise unbearable. And I have felt the pattern. And part of why I think it's so important that we're going to read Wild Seed after this mm -hmm. is because her first major concept as a science fiction writer was the pattern. Right. And I feel like my first major concept as a facilitator that I understood was the pattern. Mm -hmm. Right. Like before I connected that it was that she was writing about that pattern in that way. You know, I was like, we are all connected. Our destinies are all connected. Mm -hmm. And. For some reason, I find people reading that, the parables, it, it's like so much becomes clearer than sitting, sitting and trying to read any other political text. Yes. Like we can cover so much ground. So that's, that was it for me. Mm. Um, and I think I was in my late 20s when that started to like come together. Mm -hmm. Took a few more years before it was like, oh, wait, mm -hmm. it's here. It's all here. Um, and I think there's more. I'm I'm like getting into writing fan fiction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll see if there, if that ever comes to light. But I'm getting into writing fan fiction of the parables of like, that's right. If we apply the earth seed further down the, the line, you know, yes. what happens? What about for you? Like, what was that first moment? Do you remember that that mm. spark of like, ooh? I think it was like when I was too terrified to read to read it, and then I had to because <laughs> yeah. of Tony Morrison and my mom. Tony Morrison and your mom will do Look, it. There you go. And you when I together. when I started to read it, it's like terrible, but I, I I couldn't stop reading it, and I could hear I could hear it um, musically as I was reading it. I was like, and when we when we did that first class, kind of like you're saying that the tapestry of it, it went through everything I already knew. It was yes. like, and it it you know when mom started. It, picking some of the songs that she picked um you know like we we picked this blues song um uh, and i don't know who owns it so i won't sing it because i don't want to get in trouble but there was a song fair, about the, the um the red cross doors and the flood and uh -huh. so what would happen to people when they would go to you know get get supplies from the red cross near black and especially black men they would get made to work you know, sandbagging and other things. And so it was just like the conditions lined up to conditions we already had experienced and That's in right. particular ways. And it made me see like, it made me see time differently. It made me yeah. see it. And it also made me, it, it made me super hopeful. Like, you know, what can you do if you actually can see, see the, you know, almost not like it's linear but like that it's all out in front of you like you can just right. so how there. yeah how powerful is that like uh, especially when they they like that first beginning of the book where she's like saying she's doing like the news and she's like here's the astronaut on mars that wants yeah. you know wants to be buried on mars and then here's the multinational corporation that's made yes. a deal with this town and here's a fire but nobody's calling the fire department and oh my god it's going to rain and we get to have like you see yeah. the functionality of creativity and abuse in this way and it, it mm. you know so mom was like you know the the earthquake or the floods are the same earthquake and the same flood we already experienced and the conditions and response to the conditions are the same conditions and response to conditions that we already experienced and yes. once you you know, it's horrible, right? But once you realize that, you're free. You it really is. So there's something, yeah, the Toshi, like, right? This is the thing, like, I also want to say around the same time, I had this moment of like, we've lived it all. And she says that we have lived before, we will live again. Right? Yes. We are earth seed. And it was so profound to me that I stopped watching the news. Yeah. Because I was like, it's all happened before. 
I don't need to keep watching the cycle. I need to get under the cycle and figure out what we do to get under the cycle. Change the cycle, and there's something so powerful to me about how honest it is. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like so many things try to lie to us or make us hopeful by lying to us, make us hopeful by glossing over what's actually happening. And I felt like this text was the Buddhist text. It was like, there is suffering. There is suffering. This is what it looks like. We have to figure out a future with that, not a future, <laughs> a future where suffering is not there, but a future where we turn and face and and get pushed into the ground by the suffering and we live. Yeah, and that it, to me is so important, and co- that makes me hopeful. You know, I'm like yeah, it makes the you idea very that there hopeful. are people feeling like, oh, we 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 don't give in to the worst time. We survive the worst time. We don't yes. all make it, but we hold on to each other, and enough of us get forward that something else becomes possible. It's it is a thing where you know the world was smaller and there were less people, and yes. and you look at the the and time moved much slower, and she has this thing in there where she says technology is allowing us to do things faster and faster. And the world was smaller and time moved slower and you didn't have airplanes and you had the um, big boats across the ocean and you had the, you know, people walking across the, you know, big, 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 vast sections of land and taking years to get any place and stopping here Mm. and stopping there. And you look at the condition um, even going back like a uh, hundred years to the, you know, the 1918 flu and completely different scenarios and yeah. same result, same result, same result. Yes. Same. With all the different political contexts and same different same. ways of approaching <laughs> economics and all of it. Same result. Same result. Right. Same result. And the thing about stealing mm. people and, you know, taking them someplace and then giving them to somebody else in exchange for whatever bottles of rum or beads or yes. or money or whatever and borrowing money from somebody else to get your ship you know we do you this you recognize it. all of it and you know there is always this point of like a very few people it's yeah. it's never it's a very few people who are you know i guess back in the day they just got to be king and you know whatever <laughs> But now they are put in their positions and they align themselves with terror and weaponry and they control the things you need the most in order to survive. And then they put you in a position to do anything in order to get the things you need to survive. That's right. It's the the same thing. When When I read this book, it was the book that made me see it like flat on the table, like it was a map and all of the times... And all of the places were just hap- were just all there together yes. at the same place. And I was like, oh, it will always come down to our individual purpose and our individual understanding of whatever the destiny is you think it is and your behavior on the path. Because you yes. will have a choice. Yes. You will have a choice. <laughs> You will have or a as I like to say, when when you get permission yeah. to act a certain way because you are the color of the people or the race of the people or the religion of the people and they give you permission to be a certain kind of being, that is that is when you start living. <laughs> that is when you mm-hmm. have the opportunity have of expansion and who you're going to be on this like, you know, giant map before us with all of us on it. Like that's what yeah, it is. I do. I agree with you there. I think that there's something about the integrity, the species integrity that we walk with, where it's one thing when you're not in power and you mm-hmm. can point to all the things you don't have and be like, oh, you know. But when you actually come into it, and I think this is always the reason why I'm like, we have to always be thinking about our values, our morality, uh, what what love means to us, mm-hmm. how we be in community. Because as soon as power comes, as soon as money comes, as soon as access comes, they're designed to seduce us away from each other. They're designed mm-hmm. to seduce us away from each other and into the systems of oppression, being oppressors. And- I see it so often. Again, this is the history repeats itself. It's just the pendulum swings back and forth. 
instead of us ever getting off, you know, out of that swinging motion and into something that allows us to move. And in this set of stories, Octavia offers us people moving through the worst and then becoming wealthy and becoming, you know, having access, Mm -hmm. um, having some power, moving through the worst of it and sticking with the integrity of destiny, the integrity of community, the integrity of relationship. And I think that's the muscle we need to learn that we need to keep Mm -hmm. strengthening in each other is like, how do we turn towards each other in every condition? How do we get to the place where community is always the answer? I think the I think the other thing that this book did for me is I had not connected myself to to nature and the planet in a way that like I you know always been like we're made of water and so like let's not hurt water and we <laughs> we need air so let's not hurt air and you know I grew yep. up with the like anti pollution commercials which they should just be on twenty four seven at this point but yep. what she she really helped me to understand that we as humans were the the big problem on the planet and that the other species um, operated in a, in a kind of harmony with the earth. And that as long as they were inside of those, those ecosystems, whether, you know, they died or whatever, they were inside of their um, relationship to the earth and that we were not like, I was like, Oh, we don't, we don't operate inside of a, we don't, you know, we don't operate. And it's not that like, you know, um, I remember, you know, like when you go someplace and then you, you're there for a minute, like when we would go to Jacob's pillow and there's bears everywhere and the yep. the, the bears survive without us. But as soon as we come, like, they're like, we're coming in the house to get some food. Like we're going in the trash can to get some food. Like, you know, yeah. and it changes every, all the relationships. Now you have the baby bears coming and everything and then now you have humans like going to the baby bears oh my god they're so cute and now you have the mama bear like you know what i'm gonna have you to kill you like <laughs> y'all back in the fuck up off my baby yeah you know? <laughs> and it made me yep. realize like we we actually have a choice of sitting inside of an infrastructure that's that's already there and really mm-hmm. being more measured in our expansions than what we are um and i i i remember like when i got that revelation how I was like, oh, this is why it's going to get really bad because we're pushing the planet and the ecosystem out of their functionality and we actually can't survive that. So we're just going to, like, it's so weird. I was No, I mean, it's such a catch-22. It's like we can only survive on the planet if it is a planet that serves the multitude of species upon it. Yes. And- so far, the only thing that we have committed ourselves to is making the planet only serve us. And it won't work that way. It absolutely it will not. And I feel like watching them create Acorn, for me, you know, even though I know that Acorn was smashed, for me, it was such a healing thing for them to come across land and be like, okay, we want to get in right relationship with this land and learn what it can do mm-hmm. and learn how to be in relationship with it in in a way that nourishes us but doesn't take too much and a way that that remembers that the land has its own purposes and its own ways of Mm. being its own secrets its own rhythms and I feel like now that's the phase of my life I'm in you know I feel like reading the book and moving through life it's been like how can I find my way into the rhythms of the natural world how can I start Mm. to live my life that way um and the natural world includes space. The natural mm-hmm. world includes the stars. It includes all the celestial bodies, the way mm-hmm. they influence us. And it includes, you know, the wind on the water. I mm-hmm. want to be able to move, be slow enough that I notice those rhythms. And it helps to have a tortoise. It helps to be in love. It helps <laughs> to be in community. If for me, it helps to have limitations put on my mobility. Mm. Um so I had to really think, where do I want to go? Where do I want to be? Right. Like, what kind of boundaries do I want to create? I think this text, and I'm so glad we read it during this time. Like, it it blows my mind that mm. we started this before the pandemic and that we've been able to have this talisman of wisdom to draw from throughout this time. Yes. Because we're still in it. Yeah. And 
now we have all this technology for how to be with each other in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and we're going to stay in it. You know, I'll, I want to point, I'm like, go ahead and get reading on Wild Seed because there's more technology there. Yeah. There's more there about like how we survive from the body up. Yes. So mm. you feel satisfied, my love. Yes. Yeah, me yeah. too. Really satisfied. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm um, grateful. Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> Thank you, Toshi. We are Octavius Parables. This is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and Toshi Regan. We've been produced by Kat Aaron, and our show art is by Krista Franklin. The music for Octavius Parables is Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan, and Soar written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, live at Memorial Hall in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And you can find us on Twitter at Oparables. Sustain this show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Oparables and visit readingoctavia.com for transcripts. We love y'all. Thank you, y'all. Yay. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed.
Oh!